the past four months, we have been studying the life of a man who lived in Israel about 900 B.C. And the, the, the man's name is Elijah. He was a prophet of God. And he was not only a major figure in his own time, but his name is often repeated today. Uh, Jewish Sabbath day services end with a Hebrew prayer invoking Elijah's name and begging him to return the following week. Elijah the prophet, Elijah the Tishbite, Elijah of Gilead, his hometown. Let him come quickly in our day with the Messiah, the son of David. Whenever the Passover meal is celebrated, there is a fifth cup of wine. And that fifth cup is called Elijah's cup. And it's left untouched in honor of Elijah, who their tradition says may arrive someday as an unknown guest at Passover and uh, to welcome him. The, the front door is left open to the home and, and children uh, go to the door and look and then they go and they'll watch Elijah's cup to see if there's a, a ripple in the wine that might be a sign that Elijah has visited. Elijah was also on the minds of bystanders when Jesus was on the cross. Remember this? Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And when some of those who were standing there heard this, they thought Eloi was Elijah. He was calling for Elijah. Well, for nearly nearly 3,000 years, parents have named their sons Elijah because we want to be like him and we want our children to be like him. And you know what? The Bible says we can be like Elijah. James, the half-brother of Jesus, wrote, Elijah was a human being just like us. Elijah prayed, and he saw God send down fire from heaven, and we can pray and see God answer our prayers just like Elijah. Elijah was bold. We can be bold. Elijah was courageous. We can be courageous. He was He was victorious over evil. We can be victorious in the same way. So Elijah was this great man of God, but don't be mistaken, he was human, just like us. Elijah's life was not one high followed by another high after that. In our study of Elijah over the last several months, we've seen him get tired. We've seen him scared to death. We've seen him discouraged because Elijah was a human just like, that, just like us. And today as we wrap up our series on this great man, I want to return to one of those times when he was not high. In fact, he was very human, pitifully human. In 1 Kings chapter 19, we find Elijah huddled in a cave on Mount Sinai, the same mountain where God met Moses. For all Elijah cared, he could just die there. It's ironic because a couple weeks before that was when he saw fire come down from heaven and he prayed and the fire came down and consumed the altar and consumed everything. You'd think he'd, he'd still be riding high from that. And, and right after that event, the people of Israel, they, they professed belief in the living God. There were thousands of them that watched that event. And they said, the Lord, he is God. We will follow God. We will reject idol worship. And they were ready to do it. But Queen Jezebel, not so much. She had other plans. She was the one that had brought 
Baal worship into Israel from Phoenicia. And when she heard what had happened up on Mount Carmel and that Elijah was victorious and the people were, were ready to turn to God, she swore that she would have Elijah dead within 24 hours. Elijah ran for his life and that's how he got to the cave. Now, when we looked at this story several weeks ago, I mentioned four things that God did for Elijah when he was down and out in that cave. Number one, God demonstrated his awesome power in hurricane force winds and an earthquake and for in a wildfire. He, Elijah's eyes must have been very wide after those demonstrations. Second, God spoke to Elijah in a, remember the still small voice, the whisper, the gentle whisper, and God said, Elijah, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? You don't belong here. The third thing that God did for Elijah when he was in the cave is he gave him a new focus. And if you're down, you, you often need some work to do. Idle hands are the devil's workshop. So, so get busy. Get up. You're still my prophet, God says. In fact, he gave him instructions. He said, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. And when you get there, anoint Haziel, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king of Israel. Do something productive. And the fourth thing that God did for Elijah when he was down and out was to assure him that he was not alone. For many years, Elijah had, had kind of carried this persecution complex. I'm the only one following God. I, I'm, I'm all by myself. Poor me. I'm alone. And God basically says to Elijah here, stop saying that. I have 7,000 people in Israel who have not bowed down to the, the idol Baal. 7,000. Count them, Elijah. Now, I left one other thing that God did for Elijah for this last message in this series. The fifth thing that God did when Elijah was down was God gave Elijah a friend. And the friend's name was Elisha. And we, we couldn't possibly finish a series on Elijah if we didn't transition to Elisha and have him meet Elisha and, and have Elijah taken up in that chariot, you know. For most of his life, Elijah had been a solitary figure. I mean, you picture him standing alone and speaking strongly to, to King Ahab. Picture him by the creek camping solo for a couple years, all by himself, fed by ravens. He traveled alone. You never see him traveling with anybody else. On that mountain where there was 850 prophets of, and priests of Baal, there were all those and just Elijah, all alone. Now, alone can be a refreshing thing. Uh, I, I like being alone. It's refreshing for me. Uh, some of you parents might have fantasies of, if you've got young children, you, you fantasize about being alone and, and having some time just to yourself again. Alone time, purposeful solitude can really feed your soul. Jesus spent time regularly, all by himself, went away from the disciples, away from the crowds. So alone can be good, but alone can also be really bad for you. Decisions that are made when you're in isolation or when you've cut off other people are often very bad decisions. We all need friends, and we need them especially when we're down, when we're going through difficult times. Now, First Kings doesn't tell us exactly how God announced to Elijah that he was going to get a friend 
It just tells us how it happened. So if you have a Bible or a device and you want to turn to 1 Kings chapter 19, we're going to begin, uh, jump back into the story at verse 19. 1 Kings 19. So Elijah went from there. We're not sure where there was, wherever he had been. Went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. 12 pairs of oxen cultivating a field. That's, I mean, that's a, that's a lot of plows. That's quite, must have been a very large field. In that day, for someone to have 24 working oxen, they would have had to have been very wealthy. But, but I don't think that Elisha's folks were all that wealthy. More likely, this was the day that the whole community came together to plow Elisha's dad's field. And tomorrow it would be somebody else's field. That would make a lot more sense than, than having all those oxen yourselves. 11 pairs of oxen pulling 11 plows and Elisha was behind a 12th pair. Now, the, the narrator doesn't offer us a lot of details in this story, but the middle of verse 19 says, Elijah went up to Elisha and threw his cloak around him. Ah, that's interesting. This was not your run-of-the-mill tunic, you know, that you read of often in, in the Bible, but this was a, apparently a special mantle that was was uh, something that signified Elijah's position as a major prophet of God. Both then and now, apparel can tip off who you are and, and what you do. Uh, go to the airport and you can easily spot the, the airline pilot coming toward you. In fact, if there's two of them, you look at the stripes on their sleeves, you can tell which one is the captain and which one is the, is the co-pilot. Cabin attendants are are easy to recognize because of their uniforms. Uh, same is true for first responders, for police, for firemen, for, for military people. They wear uniforms. A uniform tells you a lot. This time of year, uh, high school and, and college students will put on some really silly-looking garb. You know, you think about it. Stuff that you never wear any other time, but everything about that gown means something. The color means something. The cords mean something. The sash means something. The hood means something. And, and so all those things are important. They, uh, uh, they, they differ from school to school and depending on which degree you're getting. Some pastors, many pastors and priests wear special apparel. A couple of weeks ago, I was visiting Dorothy Schroeder at Providence Hospital. Hospital uh, Bob and Carol also happened to be there at the time at uh, while we were there, a priest came into the room. And, and just by what he was wearing, I knew instantly he was a priest of the Jesuit order, a super nice guy, really nice guy. Israel's ancient priests and prophets wore vestments of some kind that indicated their roles and their authority. And as God's primary spokesman for this time, Elijah had the senior prophet's robe or coat or, what it, or whatever it was. So Elijah approached these teams that were plowing, and he let 11 teams go, go on by. And for the 12th team, he reaches out and he tosses his coat or his mantle around Elisha's shoulders. Now it's interesting, Elisha instantly knew who had done it and what it meant. He knew what getting that mantle meant. Elijah was recruiting him 
to be God's next major prophet of Israel. You talk about a shock. I mean, you go out to plow a field one day and you go, oh my word, completely out of the blue, this this feisty, feisty old prophet, and Elijah had quite a reputation. Uh, everybody, had been, everybody knew Elijah, his name and, and what he was like. All of a sudden he appears and with a, a sweep of his arm, Elijah forces a decision on Elisha. Now Elijah then must have turned and walked away because Elisha has to run after him in verse 20. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. I don't know why Elijah would have run away. I mean, start walking away after he put the mantle on him. And, and Elisha says, let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, and then I will come with you. He says, let me, let me tell my parents goodbye, okay? I, 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 I'm in with this. Now, Elijah had never been known for tactfulness, and uh, he sounds a little skeptical in his response. He he may have been wondering if Elisha was looking for a way out. He says, go back, Elijah says. Sorry to bother you. What, what, what have I done to you? Maybe you should just stay home. Well, if Elisha agreed to Elijah's offer, uh, he would have to put aside all of his life plans, all of his ambitions. It was a lifelong appointment, and, and the life of a major prophet was no picnic. Elisha goes all in. Actually, he never had doubted. He, he never wavered, even for the beginning. Elijah just read it wrong. He goes all in, and so do Elisha's parents. They slaughter the oxen that he's been using, and they put on a, a feast for the whole town, spontaneously, just like that. Elisha's parents were obviously among the 7,000 people that had not bowed down to Baal, that, that uh, God told Elisha about when he was in the cave. Verse 21, so Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to, sorry dad, to cook the meat and and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. This, This was a really big deal. And Elisha's family knew it. They knew exactly what had just taken place. The whole community is, is celebrating Elisha's decision to accept the prophet's mantle. So Elijah and Elisha walk off together. But let me tell you, this is a very odd couple. Very odd couple. On one hand, you have Elijah. We've never seen him with a friend before. He's from the outback. He's kind of uncultured. He's a rugged outdoorsman. He's brash. He's unfashionable, and he kind of likes being unfashionable. He, he has no settled home. He has no family around at all. He's, a, he's this solitary figure. And then you have Elisha, who was a normal guy, son of a Jewish landowner. He was close to his parents and family members. He was sharing in the farm work and all. And so Elisha is giving up a lot. He's giving up all his relationships, leaving his village, leaving his inheritance, He gives up everything to be next to Elijah. And the two men live and travel together. And I think of the two, the friendship changes Elijah much more than Elisha. We never again read about Elijah being discouraged. We never again hear him complaining, I'm the only one. He's healthier now. 
We see him responding positively to God's instructions. He once again confronted the idolatry that he saw in Israel, just like the old Elijah used to. He did some miracles and he called out Israel's leaders when they were disobeying God and not following God. So this Elijah-Elisha friendship was perfectly timed for this aging prophet. It's no surprise because God was behind it. Proverbs says a friend loves at all times and a brother or a sister is born for a time of adversity. It's not always convenient or it's not always easy to be a friend. In fact, some of the snapshots that were given of this Elijah-Elisha relationship suggest that Elijah was a difficult friend. Uh, Befriending a loner can be particularly awkward. Some of you have done that. You know that. It was awkward for Elisha. Let's see what happens. Turn forward in your Bibles to the next book, 2 Kings, and go to 2 Kings chapter 2. In 2 Kings 2, after this is, this is after Elisha and Elijah have been traveling together. They've been doing some things together, ministering together for some time. And Elijah has this idea. He, he wants to go visit Three different groups of prophets, kind of prophet seminaries, think of them, in three different locations. And for some reason, we're not told why, Elijah didn't want his friend Elisha to go with him. It was toward the very end of Elijah's life, and he wanted to go visit these three seminaries all by himself. So here's 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 1. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, stay here. The Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha wouldn't hear of it. He said, as the Lord lives, he says, if you're going to invoke the Lord's name, I'm going to do the same thing. The Lord's told you one thing, guess what? The Lord told me something else. I can use his name too. As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, on, not on your life am I going to let you go alone, Elijah. No way you're going. Not in the shape you're in. So they went down to Bethel, the two of them. Okay, Elijah's thinking, well, man, that was hard. Shouldn't have been that hard. But they, they went and visited this, this, uh, this seminary. And, and while they're there, the men attending this prophet's seminary talk with Elisha about the fact that Elijah will be leaving earth soon. I kind of think he, Elijah looked very old, very frail, and, and uh, Elisha's going, I mean, I, there's no way I'm going to let you walk that far by yourself. In fact, here's a walker with wheels, you know. You can take all the way to Bethel. You have to wonder why Elijah wanted to do it alone in his condition. But old people make some crazy choices sometimes, don't they? Some of you have parents that are there. Uh, And then, to make matters worse, Elijah does the same thing again in verse 4. Then Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, Elisha. The Lord, again, always helpful to spiritualize it, the Lord has sent me to Jericho. And Elisha replied, As surely as the Lord lives, and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went to Jericho. Isn't that great? Twice now. You would think Elijah go, okay, this guy's not going to let me travel by myself. I think I get it. 
But no, it happens again in verse 6. Elijah is one persistent guy. Then Elijah said to him, stay here at Jericho. The Lord has sent me to the Jordan River. Now Jericho is not far from the Jordan. Elijah says, just saying, I'm just going to take a little walk down to the river by myself. You get it? And Elisha replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. Sometimes you have to be very persistent with old people. Very persistent. I love the next sentence though. So the two of them walked on. They're together. They're friends. It got me thinking about some characteristics of a true friend. Number one, a friend will sacrifice and doesn't consider it a sacrifice at all. You never have to beg for the favor from a friend. You never have to apologize for asking. Most times you don't even need to ask because they're already thinking ahead. A friend is generous and never gives the impression that you're an imposition of some kind. Friends consider it a privilege to help. Friends gladly put the other person first. A friend will sacrifice. Number two, a friend defends you. We all need someone to defend us. They may defend you physically, certainly will defend you emotionally. The only conversations about you behind your back are conversations that are very, that are necessary, that are, that are good for you. They'd never tear you down. One of the closest friendships that the Bible tells about is, is uh, between King Saul's son, Jonathan, and David, who is, of course, going to be taking King Saul's place someday. You'll remember that after David killed Goliath, David got really popular. People started singing songs about him and uh, uh, starting to think about uh, how, what a great leader he was. And Saul got jealous of David, uh, became paranoid that David was out to take his throne. Saul decided David was an enemy. And Saul's son, Jonathan, stood up to his powerful father saying, Dad, you're wrong about David. You're wrong. Because Jonathan was a friend, and a friend defends you. Number three, a friend tells you the truth. Telling a friend the truth, even when it's painful, is actually the kind thing to do. There's a lot of unkind people out there that, that don't tell you the truth. Maybe say what you need, what, what you want to hear, and that's, that's not helpful at all. Telling someone the truth can be very hard. We always think of a friend who's someone who comes alongside you, somebody who comforts you, somebody who supports you, someone who champions you. But a true friend, a godly friend, has the courage to challenge you and to graciously call you out when you're wrong. Now that gets dangerous, doesn't it? Especially today. Because it's not politically correct to call anybody out. I mean, you're not supposed to challenge anyone. You don't disagree with anyone. Everybody gets to have their safe space, you know. And nobody has the right to challenge your opinion. But the person who cheers you on, and the person who, regardless, and the person who tells you only what you want to hear, that is not a friend. They'll cheer you on right onto the rocks where you'll be shipwrecked. That's why Proverbs 27, verse 6 says, Faithful, valuable are the wounds of a friend. 
A friend tells you the truth. Number four, a friend encourages you in the Lord. You need people around you who share your faith. That, that is a huge benefit of church. And not just this church, many good churches. From the beginning, 15 years ago, uh, we have enjoyed a sense of community, a sense of connectedness here, because we have a common faith in Christ and we know we need each other. Many of you have found new friends just from coming to church and church activities. And as Andrew said, you go to the retreat and you come away with many new friends. Your good friends, your best friends, need to love God the way you do. They need to know the Bible. They need to share your values. One day when David was at his lowest point, his friend Jonathan showed up. Uh, Here's 1 Samuel 23. When David was at Horish in the desert of Ziph, he learned that Saul had come out to take his life. And Saul's son Jonathan went to David at Horish and helped him to find strength in God. The best kind of friend will always encourage you toward deeper faith, greater spiritual maturity. If you have friends who pull you away from God, who pull you away from other Christian friends, who pull you away from church, maybe if you have friends that, that mock your convictions or you're embarrassed to talk about the Lord around them, you may need different friends. A friend should encourage you in the Lord. Number five, a friend loves stubbornly. Says, no matter what, I'm with you. That's what Elisha did for Elijah. There's another great example of this in the Bible. And it comes from a very small book called Ruth. When famine hit Bethlehem, a man named Elimelech took his wife Naomi and moved to, actually it was a foreign country, Moab, across the Jordan River. Over there, the rains had come and And so there was food there, the crops were growing there, and they they settled there, they stayed there for about 10 years, during which time their sons, their young sons grew up, got a marriageable age, and they married two local girls, two Moabite girls, Ruth and Orpah. Life was good. But then Elimelech died. And then, awful, I mean, both sons died. People died young for no reason in those days. That left three women... Naomi, Ruth, and Orpah without husband. And Naomi decided to travel back to Bethlehem where she had extended family members. She knew she could stay with her relatives in in her old age. And and her daughters-in-law started out to go with her. They're packing up and they're going to go. But Naomi urged them to stay behind. Said, listen, your family members are all here. Why don't you stay here? I mean, you're a Moabite. You maybe can get another husband here. You go to my country, you're probably not going to be married again. Now, Orpah was convinced, so Orpah stays in Moab. Naomi had urged her to do that, but not Ruth. Ruth loved Naomi stubbornly, stubbornly. Ruth chapter 1, verse 16, Ruth replied, Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely. That's an oath. If even death separates you and me, I promise I'm staying with you till death parts us. Now that is true friendship. That is, there's no bigger commitment than that. See, what's normal in relationships 
is to, to kind of hedge your commitments to, to protect yourself. I'll hang with you for as long as I can. I'll, I'll stay married to you as long as our love lasts. Uh, I'll do my best. I'll try. I guess nobody told Ruth that she needed to protect herself. Nobody told Elisha that either when he took off with Elijah. Elijah needed a protege. Yes, he did. He needed somebody to pass his mantle to. But even more, he needed a friend. He'd always needed a friend, but he didn't know it. And after Elijah and Elisha visited the third seminary, it was time for God to take Elijah home. 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 7. It says, 50 men from the company of the prophets went and stood at a distance facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan River. Elijah took, up, took his cloak, rolled it up, and struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me, what can I do for you before I'm taken from you? He knew he was about to go. Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. Now, Elisha knew that he, there's no way he could fill Elijah's shoes. They were too big. He, he needed God's help, even if he was going to try to do that. And so he asked to be doubly blessed so he wouldn't fail. And because his motives were pure, God granted the request. Verse 10, you have asked a difficult thing, Elijah said. Yet, if you see me when I'm taken from you, it will be yours. Otherwise, it will not. And as they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. He never died. He's just gone. What a great story. The friendship paid off. It actually paid off for both men. Elijah got to live out his later years with experiencing true friendship. And Elisha got his double portion. We know that because if you count the number of miracles that each man did, Elijah did eight miracles in his lifetime. Elisha did 14. So as we conclude our study of Elijah and Elisha, I thought, you know, there's no way we can talk about friendship and partnership without talking about the greatest friend of all, Jesus Christ. Jesus does all the friend things for us, but he went a step further than any friend can do. John 15 says there is greater, no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friend. And that's what Jesus did for us. He laid down his life to give us life, a, a kind of life that no other friend can give, the best life here on earth and eternal life with God after we die. Christ is the center of the most satisfying relationships that, that all of us enjoy. Now, we're, we're not great people. We're really ordinary people. But we have an amazing Lord that says, you're my friends if you do what I command. We try to please him in the way we live. Fortunately, when you, when you ask Christ to be the Lord of your life, you're not on your own. You don't have to just work really, really hard. The Bible says the Lord gives you the Holy Spirit, puts that Holy Spirit inside you, and the Holy Spirit wants to do right, wants to please God. Let's bow our heads together.
Lord, we have to first of all thank you for being the best friend we could ever imagine. Thank you for uh, Christ laying down his life for us so that we could have life in him. And thank you also for this story of friendship between these two men a long, long time ago. And Father, whether we're on the, the giving end of a friendship or on the receiving end, let us be gracious people. Let us be humble people. And let us be the kind of people that grows to be more and more like the friend that we have in Jesus. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.